Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in. Again, a, a really special thanks to our sponsors, Siegfried and Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, and Veracity Networks. Thank you so much for believing in me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in week after week. You guys are fantastic. I can't believe where we're at. And it's amazing when you put a little effort and you believe in yourself. Uh, it's amazing the things that we can do. We're saving lives. I really do believe that. And i also like to thank our previous guests. I've had some amazing people on who have shared some very powerful stories about their lives. They, they've been vulnerable, and it's been fantastic. And today's no different. Today, we're joined by Drew Manning. Drew, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Todd, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Man, I'll tell you, this is I'm so excited. I, I, I feel like I'm sitting across from a celebrity mm -hmm. here. <laughs> a little background uh, on Drew. He's a health and fitness expert. Um, he is a New York Times bestselling author, Fit fit to Fat to Fit, The Unexpected Lessons from Gaining and Losing 75 Pounds. And I can't mm -hmm. wait to get into this story because our listeners are going to be blown away about <laughs> it. We were just talking about this off the air. And to me, guys, uh, there's so much more we're going to talk about. But I love Drew for this reason, that he wanted to know what it was like to be overweight mm -hmm. and what it's like to try to take it off because he wanted to be able to be authentic to his clients. That hit me probably the hardest mm -hmm. out of all you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, you're also the creator of the A&E show Fit to Fat to Fit, and you also host your own podcast called the Fit to Fat uh, to Fit Experience um, with over, you have over a, a million social media followers. Um, you're known for your straightforward and empathetic fitness and health coaching, which we're going to talk about why empathy yeah. and why you are so passionate about that. Yeah. And then you've been you've been featured on the Dr. Oz Show, CNN, Good Morning America, The Tonight Show, The View, MSNBC, among many others. And today he's on the Belief <laughs> Cast with us. And I'm just so grateful for that. I love it. I'm, like I said, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yeah. And I want to mention one other. I didn't sure. mention this. You're on Tom Bilyeu's show, The Impact Theory, yeah. which is one of my favorite things to watch. I, I, look, I look up to Tom. He's had the who's who on yeah. his show. And for you to even be there says a lot about you. Yeah. And uh, you just you live, a, you live an amazing life. And I can't wait for our listeners to hear more about you. So why don't we start, though? Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and a little bit about your family life. Yeah, thanks for letting me talk about that. You know, most people want to jump right into fit to fat to fit. Yeah, <laughs> so right. <laughs> so we'll go back be, before that even started. So I, I grew up in California, uh, so, uh, Southern California, San Diego area. Okay. Eleven brothers and sisters, eight boys, three girls. Wow. <laughs> yeah, my parents. I don't know how they did it. Where did you fall in the pecking uh, order? I was number seven. <laughs> yeah, I was number seven out of all of them. So somewhere in the middle. Um, but yeah, I had a really good childhood, you know, play, uh, uh, was really good at sports, played football and wrestling from a very young age. Okay. Uh, we all played sports, right? So, you know, we're all active and things like that. And for me, I kind of excelled at sports. That was kind of like my, my thing that I was, was actually really good at. Um, the discipline part <clears throat> kind of carried over into my personal life, you know, you know, disciplining right. yourself and pushing yourself harder and having that mental discipline to be able to do hard things 
kind of came, you know, playing sports, like yeah. football and wrestling. Well, wrestling, I'll, I'll tell you. I, so I was a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was in high school, we'd have our basketball practice. We'd yeah. work our tails off. <laughs> well, we started the same time that the wrestlers yeah, did. Same we'd go in, shower, <laughs> we'd mess around for another hour, come out, and the wrestlers were still practicing. Yeah. I would imagine that was your experience where, I mean, wrestling is not an easy sport. It's one of the hardest sports I've ever played. Yeah. yeah. And it still is to this day. And even people, you know, in MMA, you know, say the same thing. You know, right. wrestling, MMA is just one of those sports where you don't realize how hard, how fatigued you can get in like a two or three minute round. Like right. the round's like two or three minutes, right? Man, that's like the most exhausting two or three minutes of your life where <laughs> right. you you don't realize how much energy you you put out there to, you know, kind of keep someone off of you and yeah. trying to get on top of them. Like, <laughs> so anyways, I, I love, I, 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 well, it's a love-hate relationship. I did it because I was good at it and also it, it really broke me in, in, in a lot of ways just because of how hard it was. I remember my first yeah. day of football practice, I cried because I was late. My coach yelled at me. Oh, and I was really? like, oh, man, I, I wasn't used to that. <laughs> right. You know, like yeah. getting yelled at for being late. It was and I was just a little kid, you know. Yeah. But, you know, it did make me a, a better man, a, a better human, um, just yeah. because I knew that I could do hard things. And I think that's what kind of that's what sports does. Is it builds that resilience in, in young kids. Now, there is a downside to that, though, <clears throat> and I'll talk about that, how I got, how the downside kind of came later in life. Okay. Because I never felt I was good enough. I felt like, even if I won, like if I beat someone in wrestling, okay, no celebrating, no smiling, no happiness, just on to the next one. Or if I if I won in football, all serious, no joy, right. you know, in any of it. Um, but, you know, I did my job, and, the, and I kept my emotions inside. Um, <clears throat> I think discipline is a great thing to have. But I feel also like there's a, it's a, you know, there's two sides to the coin, yeah. you know? And yeah. I think, you know, for me, feeling not good enough and wanting to be perfect and also the environment I grew up in, my family culture, and then also the religion I grew up in was, it was very similar. Like, you know, you have to be good. You have to be perfect. And if you're not, then there's a punishment, right? Yeah. If you mess up, you either get spanked or you mess up in the church, there's, there's, you miss punishment. out on the blessings. Exactly. You don't get those. Yep. Sorry, you don't get those because yeah. you're doing this. Yeah. And so yeah. I think as a young teenage kid, not having an outlet to be able to talk to someone about that, wow. just because, you know, my parents, you know, they didn't know any better. They didn't know how to talk about emotions. Right. And I didn't know how to bring it up. Right. As a as a boy and growing into a man, you just were taught to suppress. Right. And suppress and suppress and never feel those yeah. emotions. And so it's not okay to cry. It's not okay to talk about feelings. So I just kind of kept it in and, um, you know, I grew up with a lot of self hate because of that, Wow. you know, and, 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 you know, there's no one else to blame, but myself, I was just kind of my perception of my well, situation. Well, plus I'll add too, Drew, you know, you're a kid, you know, you don't, you're, you're going through life thinking, okay, this is what I got to do. And, and I hear this a lot from people where, <clears throat> like you said, you win the, you win your wrestling match. Well, it's, you never can enjoy the journey. It's like, okay, now now I've got to beat this next guy, this next person, or I've got to win this next game, or I've got to do this kind of thing. It's never enough in the moment, it seems like. Yeah, I think as a kid, it's hard to process that. Yeah, I didn't didn't understand that. I didn't have a therapist or anyone to talk to about it. Yeah, It was just like, okay, this is the way life is. And so I would, because of of that, the way I would go about life to protect myself was just to pretend I didn't have weaknesses. And so I would learn to lie about mistakes Mm. I made or weaknesses I had to my parents, to my church leaders, you know, you can't hide it from your coach. He sees everything, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but, um, I would, 
try and hide my weaknesses. Yeah. And I think that was a very unhealthy behavior because I was so afraid of getting punished or so afraid of getting found out that I felt it was better just to lie about it and keep it inside. And so I would pretend on the outside that things were going Everything good. And was I good. was like, had it all figured out. But on the inside, it was this internal war, this battle of like hating who I was because I made these mistakes. Wow. Did you find yourself ever like <laughs> when you were alone in your room or when no one was around, did you allow yourself to break down then? Like, would you cry behind the scenes, so to speak? It, it eventually came up. Um, but, you know, I never showed it to anyone. I, I definitely had moments where I would cry, you know, and yeah. I would hate myself for crying. Like, why am I crying, you know? And, right. you know. Um, so you couldn't even give yourself that little bit of a relief. You, you'd still judge that. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I hate the fact that I was, I was very emotional. I was very emotional as a kid. Like, if I lost a game or lost a match or lost a wrestling mm -hmm. match, I would cry. I would wow. definitely cry. And I just... Wouldn't want to talk to anyone, wouldn't want to yeah. be seen by anyone. I would just kind of go into like a dark place and just beat myself up and then, you know, just kind of uh, do the best, you know, after that. But that, yeah. that was kind of like, you know, my environment growing up, at least the way I perceived it. And then mm -hmm. high school came around, got better at sports and, you know, was really tough on myself because of that self-hate of like, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And the way I perceived that was like, okay, I need to discipline myself more. I need to be more strict with myself yeah. and hate myself even more become better and that was like you know the, the way i looked at sports was okay in sports yes that's the way you can do it you know yeah. work harder you know go all out and and you can achieve great things and so that's the way i looked at life like okay if i just beat myself up more and have more discipline and more self-hate then i'll never make a mistake i'll never have a weakness <laughs> wow. but being human yeah that's impossible it's impossible yeah yeah you're kind of setting yourself up for miserable for misery, right? Yeah. And I think you touch on a point that most of our listeners will resonate with is, you know, we're always trying to, to be better, which is not a bad thing. Like you said, it's, it's good to improve. It's good to try to be better there, but there's that other side. We also <clears throat> got to be able to express our, our feelings and our emotions. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that's a healthy environment to grow up in, right. especially if teenagers, they need that. Yeah, little kids because they don't understand they can't comprehend what they're experiencing and so to have a healthy outlet like their parents or someone that they could be open and honest and authentic with and vulnerable with and feel safe like hey you're safe to talk about your emotions here i never felt safe and i think a lot of men can relate to that or women too sure. can relate to that where it's not a safe yeah. environment to be vulnerable and so without that permission you kind of just are, keep a lot of things inside right and that's where a lot of like self-hate and depression and self-doubt come from that because you never you never feel like you can be you right so did this the uh, excuse me did this carry over into like after you graduated from high school and things like that into your marriage yeah you know uh the, the marriage that you were in mm -hmm. did it carry over into that too did you find yourself trying to like i got to be the perfect husband yeah. i've got to be the perfect father all that did yeah. you find that as well it did yeah and you know it it wasn't until my early 30s that all this behavior all this you know keeping things inside and and not talking about these and suppressing eventually broke me to where i got a divorce yeah. um i left my religion i uh but it needed to happen like this all of this these bad things like divorce yeah. and failure and, and at least looking at it that way sure all those things need to happen for me to hit rock bottom yeah. and in that rock bottom moment i got to make a decision of do I want to stay stuck here? Do I want to stay stuck here and, and blame my parents, blame God, blame the world for being where I am at? 
Right. Or do I want to become this better version of myself so that I can be authentic and I can be fulfilled in this life? And the thing that brought me out of that was being a dad. So mm. being a father was that motivating factor to say, okay, I'm here at rock bottom. My girls were young. They don't remember this sure. part of it, you know, right. going through divorce. And You have two girls, correct? Yeah, two daughters. Yeah. And so I was willing to try anything. I was open to therapy for the first time in my life or mm. life coaching or mm -hmm. meditation, things that I thought were, you know, weird or for people with problems. Like right. I was like, no, I don't need that. I, I don't have any problems, right? Right. And just admitting to myself that I needed help and being open to things outside of my my bubble of of tools that were given to me, right? So like in the environment I grew up in with the religion I grew up in, I was like, hey, here's all the tools you need. You don't need anything else besides this. Right. So for me, like meditation, therapy weren't in that bubble. And so I had to learn about these things and realize, and once I started doing these things, going to therapy and life coaching and meditating mm -hmm. and um, among other things that I'll get into, I was like blown away at how impactful that was for me and right. it just totally helped shift my perception because i had been stuck in the same bubble like i it explained where i had all these tools in that bubble but that's all i had available to me right and i was told those things would work and they just you know they didn't work that well for me personally right. trying these other things outside of that i was like it was blown away my first life coaching session was three hours with this lady from salt lake city her name's Catherine Dixon. Dixon. She uses this um, work called um, by Byron Katie. Byron Katie yeah, the yeah, work. The work. Yeah. yeah, super powerful for Very me. Very powerful. Yeah, open up my eyes to yeah. to a new perception of myself, where I was like, for the first time, I learned how to love myself truly from this woman and the techniques she used, and that was the first um, you know flicker of of hope or light for me at the end of the tunnel, where I was like, okay, I'm I can see. I can feel hope now. I can right. feel like there's hope at the end of this tunnel for me. Right. So, and I think if I and correct me if I'm wrong, you you know you've done almost 300 podcasts yourself with your own podcast. Yeah. Was it? Mm -hmm. I think it was episode 100. Yes. Is when you came out and again being very vulnerable. Yeah. Shared to the world basically what you're just sharing there with the divorce, you know, mm -hmm. things that you've gone through in your life, and you got really vulnerable. Why did you why did you feel like that was important to talk about it? Yeah, because for me, when I shared my episode 100, which is by far my most downloaded podcast <laughs> you know, out of all the podcasts I've sure. done. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, people want that raw real, you know, human nature story and I was mm. able to finally talk about, you know, my failures and open up and, and talk about those feelings that I've been suppressing mm -hmm. my whole life. Why did I share it? Because I was coming from a place of healing finally and yeah. It was a way for me to pay it forward. And after that episode aired, I had so many people reach out to me oh, saying, yeah. thank you for sharing this because yeah. I remember, so in that episode, just to give people some context, I talked about growing up with uh, pornography addiction, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I talked about my affair that I had, um, which yeah. all of this stems from self-hate. For me as a little kid, hating who I was, when you yeah. hate yourself, see yourself as a failure, you do failure-like things and you tend to self-sabotage. Cause you don't feel worthy. You don't yeah. feel like you feel like you're a screw up. So why, why not keep screwing up, you know? And that's the mentality that I had because I didn't have that self love and that self worth at any moment before that. So pornography addiction affair was like, yeah, I'm already a failure. So that wow. just kind of solidified it for me. Um, but, uh, why did I want to share that? I think for me, 
it was because I wanted to give people hope that, hey, maybe you can relate to me. You've been stuck here. Yeah. And maybe you're afraid to talk about it. Maybe you're afraid to open up about it. And you're afraid of maybe going through a divorce or, or, or hurting the people you love the most. And I'm here coming from a place of, of healing where I put in the work for years. It wasn't like the next day. <laughs> it wasn't like sure, right. it took years <laughs> of therapy and life coaching yeah. and, and really figuring out who I was and what yeah. my message was to be brave enough and vulnerable enough to share my story and own it. Um, in hopes to give other people that bravery and courage, you know, um, Brene Brown talks a lot about stepping yeah. into the arena and te- that Teddy Roosevelt quote where, yeah. you know, the man in the arena is, it's not the critic who counts, you know, people yeah. watching on social media will throw stones at you and boo sure. you and shame you right. and all that stuff. But none of those voices matter because you're in the arena doing the work. Yeah. You're fixing what's been broken. Yep. It could be generations of, of, um, brokenness. It could be, you know, a generational thing where finally you are the one who's breaking the cycle of past generations being too afraid to be vulnerable or authentic or open up. And there's a quote that sticks with me all the time. It's, it says, uh, if you don't heal what hurts you or cut you, you're going to bleed on those who didn't hurt you. Does yeah, that make sense? If yeah, you don't heal sure, yourself, yeah. you're yeah. going to bleed on those who didn't hurt you. And that's mm. so true because this is how hate racism abuse gets passed on from generation yeah, to generation going over, yeah. because that's the way they were treated. That's the way their parents were treated, their grandparents. And unless someone in that line breaks the cycle, your kids, whether you like it or not, you think you can hide it from them. It's going to manifest itself in one form or another. It's going to get passed on to the next generation. Unless someone decides to break that cycle and step into the arena and, and learn how to heal yourself. Wow. Beautifully said. I love yeah. that. You know, um, you even have it uh, tattooed on your arm about yeah. vulnerability. What does it say? Vulnerability is strength. Yes. Um, I think it was probably Brene Brown that said that the amount of vulnerability we're willing to express mm-hmm. will be equal to the amount of happiness we'll experience in life. So vulnerability up, yeah. happiness up. Yeah. Vulnerability down, happiness yeah. down, right? I agree and, with that. And, mm-hmm. and I love that you got to that point where you just got real and raw on that episode mm-hmm. and you shared everything. Yeah. And I think what uh, and it doesn't surprise me it's your most downloaded one because yeah. again, I think people are starving for that cuz everyone's struggling with something and then they see this guy who's successful, you know, if I if I didn't know your story and I just saw you online I'm like, man, this guy's got it all. He's perfect. <laughs> He's good, right? You yeah, would think yeah. that. But man, when they hear your backstory and they go, and that's why I'm so glad you're on my show today cuz I want people to know the backstory and you are speaking the language of everyone who's listening to this right now because vulnerability is the key. And I think you talk about how it eliminates shame. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brene Brown talks about that too, where shame, the more you, the less you talk about it, the more power shame has over you. Mm. The more you talk about those things that bring you shame, the less power it has. And that was really scary because to talk about my weaknesses, my failures, super scary for someone that puts on, wears this mask of perfection their whole life. And, you know, people think they're this nice, good boy and they, right. they, you know, they got their life figured out. Yeah. And to show that uh, the real, your real face without the mask on is really, really scary for a lot of people. And I get that. And um, so for me, um, when I first talked about it, I remember opening up to my brother, my oldest brother, the first time. And I was like shaking, like shaking, yeah. crying. I could barely get out a few words because I was so... It was so hard for me in that moment, you know? And um, <clears throat> luckily, my brother was very, very good. He was very 
just there to listen, didn't talk a whole lot, you know, just sat there and was patient with me because I was like, I need, <clears throat> I need to tell someone. Yeah. And so it was him and it was like a hundred pounds was like lifted off my chest. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. And then um, from there, open up to my parents and each time it just got easier and easier and easier. And I remember hearing about that quote where she's, she, she talks about, you know, shame has less power the more you talk about it. Yeah. Not really understanding it until I went through that and experienced it. I'm like, man, that's so powerful. And if everyone could experience that, that has this shame and guilt, if everyone could, if everyone could experience that, they would be open to telling someone right away. If yeah. you know what that feeling is like yeah. to get it out there finally. And people go their whole lives without with carrying that burden. And that's a, that's a big burden to carry right. for 60, 70, 80, 90 years of your life. Wow. Wearing a mask, you know? Yeah. So for yeah. me, I knew I owed it to my daughters. Yeah. To, so for them to have this best version of myself. And so I was willing to do that hard work for them so that they don't have to suffer the things that I suffer through. Wow. Very powerful. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And, and, and I feel the emotion here yeah. and, and uh, I'm sure our listeners <clears throat> can feel it as well. You know, I, I think again, people see you sometimes as like, man, this guy has it figured out. He's perfect or whatever. Yeah. But I love that you, you even talked about as this young kid, you were already starting to shame yourself on yeah. some level. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm just not good enough. And one thing that also stood out to me that you said, Drew, is that if you believe you're a failure or in other words, not good enough, your actions mm -hmm. will mirror it yes. basically is what you were saying. Cause again, you'll self-sabotage. I don't deserve these good things cause I'm not good enough. Yeah. So you blow them up. And one thing I say to my clients a lot is, is that our, our beliefs dictate our behavior. Yeah. If you want our behavior to change, change the belief and then yeah. the behavior will follow. And I love that you pointed that out. That was yeah. really powerful to me when you said that. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. The hard part is people are stuck in this this loop pattern in the brain of mm -hmm. like the, their thoughts that they go through and they don't feel like they can escape. You know, they right. don't feel like they can escape that. For sure. That thought process. And so it, it is hard because like I said, uh, I described that bubble. Thank you. Like I, I described that bubble of these tools that were given to me. And if we just stay stuck there, we're not open yeah. to try new things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really hard to break that cycle because yeah. was, people don't see a way out right. in the way they think until you can learn to shift your perception, you're going to be stuck there. But if you can learn to shift your perception of yourself and your situation, that's where the progress comes from. Wow. But in order to shift your perception, you have to be open to looking at things through a new lens. Right. So like coming to a place like this, like this recovery center, yeah. they're going to be, you know, given new tools, new yeah. ways to see themselves and their life through a new, per, uh, new perspective so that yeah. they can finally see a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. makes perfect sense. Thank you. You know, um, there's so much I want to talk yeah. to you about. I don't even know where to start because you've done so much, you know, you, you, you basically have this movement now and this brand called fit to fat to fit. Yeah. And I want to <laughs> talk about this and I think, um, it was around 2011 when you realized some things that you needed to do to really make yourself, you know, where you're at today. So why don't you talk about that kind of that moment you had in yeah. 2011? <laughs> yeah, 2011. That was, um, so at that time I was, uh, you know, we had our first daughter and my wife at the time was pregnant with our second daughter. And I had this idea, uh, because, you know, I, I, I got into personal training at like a couple years before that. So yeah. I was training some clients and here I was 
someone who had never been overweight a day in my life trying to help people who were overweight pretty much every day of their life. (laughs) And there was an obvious disconnect because I couldn't understand why it was so hard for them just to be consistent with the meal plans and the workouts. Because for me, it's easy. You just do it. You go to the gym, (laughs) you know, you put the junk food down and you just be disciplined and then you'll see the results. And I, I, my clients would struggle and I would, I would ask them or get frustrated with them. Like, why, why did you do that? Like, why did you sabotage? Why didn't you just stick with the plan? And one of my clients at the time, who was my brother-in-law said, you know, you don't understand how hard it is for me or for people like me, because for you, it's always been easy. Mm. I was like, okay, you're right. I can't argue with that. Like it, I don't understand. Yeah. And so I was thinking of ideas and then boom, this thought of what if you got fat on purpose and documented the journey, maybe that would give you a better understanding. And so it was weird. It was almost like this light bulb went off in my head and I almost felt like a calling. I called my wife. I called my family members, some friends and said, Hey, what do you guys think about this idea? And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, that sounds crazy. You should yeah. totally do it. You know? <laughs> right. My mom was the only one that was against it because she was worried for my health. For sure, yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyways, it was really, really uh, interesting that I was, like, almost feeling called to do this. So the idea in a nutshell was uh, I was going to start a website, YouTube channel, and document my journey for six months of of eating whatever I wanted to. So an unrestricted diet, <laughs> no exercise for six months, and then document that journey of gaining weight and then document document the journey back to fit. So six months of gaining weight, six months of losing weight. And so that was the idea in a nutshell. And I didn't know what I was doing. I like, you know, (laughs) we were just, we had our our phone to record stuff. I uploaded to YouTube and edited it the best I could. And I didn't have any media connections or marketing budget. I just did what I could. And so I put it out there, told some friends and family, they were telling friends and family, people started watching it. And then before you know it, bloggers started reaching out to me, podcasters started reaching out to me. And then boom, one of them struck a chord with, yahoo.com and yahoo.com posted on their front page fitness trainer becomes obese and then my website crashed i got (laughs) called from every from every tv show fighting to have me on and they're like we need you to come on our show and you can't do these other shows if you if you like you have to choose basically really so i couldn't go on the today show and good morning america i had to choose between good morning america or today show or these other shows they fight for it so it was really interesting, but um, but at the same time you got to be going, wow, this is incredible. Yeah, I didn't, right? I didn't know you weren't why. expecting that. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> I, I had no c- uh, connections to these people, other than I just struck a chord. So a lot of it was luck. But I think the interesting thing that people saw in that first experiment back in 2011 was they saw me be humbled. They saw me become humbled through this experiment where right. I was like cocky, like, oh, it's not going to be that hard. I'll just gain some weight, then lose it. Right. They saw how humbling it was for me. And I think that's yeah. where people felt like they could relate to me and they felt like they could trust me more. And there was this for relatability sure. factor that was there where instead of just your typical Jillian Michaels, tough love type of trainer with six pack <laughs> abs their whole life. Now people saw me struggle gaining 75 pounds in six months, you know, blogging about everything I was experiencing, uh, vlogging, putting the videos out there on YouTube and yeah, uh, it went viral. And, um, you know, yeah. one lesson I learned from that was how, uh, transformation is way more mental and emotional than I ever imagined. You know, I, I was looking at transformation as physical. Here's your calories right. in calories right. out. Here's your workouts. Here's your supplements. You do this physical stuff. Your physical body will change. Right. And I was completely wrong. And I, I, I realized how much of transformation is mental and emotional going through that first experience. And that's where I started to sh- shift my perception of how I helped. I was able to help clients through their struggles. So it was, yeah, it was really powerful tool for me. 
and um luckily i got back to fit <laughs> you know <laughs> but um yeah that was back in 2011 2012. wow that is mm-hmm. amazing and that's so cool how it went viral and how and then all of a sudden everyone's fighting for you <laughs> yeah. they want to talk to you again that's why i feel so blessed that you're here this means a lot to me drew i hope you know that um it really truly does and not just because of that it's more because of the way again what really struck a chord with me is how you just wanted to be authentic. Mm-hmm. That is so rare, I think. Mm-hmm. Cuz you easily could have just like look at me, you can be just like me. <laughs> yeah. Cuz by the way, if you if you haven't seen Drew, he's <laughs> he's shredded. He look he looks amazing. <laughs> um and so, but again, you put on was it 75 total? 76 yes. 70, something like that. 76 pounds was the my highest. It was the highest. <laughs> yeah, I got up to. It. Yeah. So what is I mean, I know you've already shared a, uh, already a little bit here. What were some of the biggest lessons that just that you learned? One, obviously you understood what these clients were going through, yeah, which is beautiful. But what were some things that uh, maybe even surprised you a little bit? Yeah. Um, so other than the, the, the whole, you know, learning that transformation is more mental, emotional, right. than physical. That was the first one. The second one was how powerful the emotional connection to food really is. Because mm. I would tell, have people tell me they're addicted to food or they couldn't give up their soda. And I would just look at them and think, <laughs> just have willpower, you know, just like, Work, like right. just don't do it you know yeah. and it's ridiculous thinking that way but having been through it myself now eating junk food for six months which the food did taste good by the way <laughs> i'm not gonna lie cinnamon toast crunch and mountain dew and you know how hot many, pockets and how many calories were you throwing down a day do you um know? Do you, you know, know? What? i didn't track it back then but i would i would guess around five thousand, maybe more yeah true. but it was all like processed food <laughs> yeah. you know uh supersize me morgan spurlock we've seen that documentary right. where he's mcdonald's yeah so I actually didn't focus a lot on fast food. I ate mostly processed foods that are cheap, affordable, convenient, and they they taste yeah. freaking good. They taste good, yeah. They do. Um, <laughs> and then when I switched over to eating healthy again, I remember thinking, oh, my body's going to respond really quickly. I'm going to feel really good. The first two weeks were hell. And I, did, I was so surprised by the fact that my body, my own body, was fighting back against me going through these withdrawal symptoms Ooh. because it had had this high that it got from these foods yeah. for these past six months. And now all of a sudden my body's like, okay, where's that food? Where's, where's our high? Yeah. And now you're giving us these, you know, healthy foods, which don't do the same thing chemically in, in our brain. Yeah. And I felt miserable. I was, I had headaches. I was grumpy. I was moody. I had low energy. I was hungry all the time. And the food didn't taste nearly as good as I remember <laughs> it tasting. Yeah. And I was like, man, yeah. I was so humbled and realized just how powerful not just biologically, you know, your body is dependent on those chemicals, you know, from those foods and what it does to your brain, the dopamine hits that you get from eating, you know, junk food, because that's, that's exactly what happens. Exactly. And, um, and then to break that and then to go clean was, was way harder than I thought it was going to be. And, uh, I was truly humbled and realized, Oh, this is why my clients struggle when I give them a meal plan. They've wow. been eating this way for years and I expect them to be perfect at this, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and the first few weeks or first month. And no wonder people give up after a couple of weeks because they're, they're, they're trying to willpower their way out of a, a, an addictive cycle. And the addictive cycle isn't just a physical chemical dependency. It's, it's also emotional as well. Right, yeah. So to break that habit is you, like maybe less than one percent, like a David Goggins can maybe willpower his way out of it, but you know ninety five percent of people out there are can't willpower their way out of it. Right. And and same wow. thing with drug addiction. You know, for sure, um, it's a lot more powerful than people think. And I know people that have never been an addict would like to say, "Hey, just stop doing drugs, and then your problems will go away." Right. And 
they just don't understand how it works and they don't understand that vicious cycle and how powerful that vicious cycle is. And so, um, for me, that was, that was the other powerful lesson that I learned during that journey. Wow. That's spot on. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So what, and this might be a big question, but what do you tell your clients now Mm -hmm. when they are going through that? I know it's part part of your program, but can you explain to us kind of like, how do you help your client who's going through that emotional stress, that emotional feeling low energy, no dopamine release, that kind of thing? How do you help them through that part of their their progress. Yeah. And I, I wish there was like just a magic pill you could take <laughs> right. to where like all the problems go away and then yeah. they're skinny and fit. Right. Like right. I wish that were simple, but for me it's a process, but it has to do with what we talked about earlier, shifting your perception of your situation. So mm-hmm. people's perception of success in health and fitness is to become skinny or lean or ripped or shredded. Like once they do that, then they're successful right. and people try and willpower their way month one, month two into this new lifestyle and the problem that I have with that is they're going into a physical transformation thinking that it's just going to be physical. Thinking, right. oh, okay, if I reduce calories by this much and I exercise this much, then I'll lose weight this much per week. And then by this month, I'll have my dream body. And then right. all my problems will go away. Once, once I get this body, yeah, <laughs> you know, then I'll be happy. And then people will love me. And then I'll respect myself and other people will respect me finally. And we're going seeking after this outside source of happiness thinking yeah. – Oh, if I get this body, I'll be happy. If I get this much money, then I'll be happy. If I get this house and this X, whatever it is, if I get this thing, it's going to make me happy. Yeah. And so people go into it with that perspective. And then after two, three weeks of grinding and trying to willpower <laughs> their way to like yeah. be healthy and fit, and they realize they're not seeing the results. This is too hard. They feel deprived. And they're like, well, what's the point of this anyways? And so they're doing it for the results. <laughs> sure. And so what I try and do is help shift their perception of instead of focusing on results for one second, for just, just a few minutes, right. take the results out of the equation for a second and focus on the process. What does the process look like? Some people think the process is hell. It sucks. I have to eat healthy food. It doesn't taste good. I have to feel hungry. I have to work out and my muscles burn and I'm sweating and that doesn't feel good. And so people think, it, okay, I'll put up with the process which sucks as long as I get these results, right? And that's their that's the way they go about it, thinking yeah. I'll put up with this process long enough in, until I get these results. And if I don't get the results, then I'm just not going to do the I'm process. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so what I try and do is help them shift their uh, perception of themselves and realize that instead of doing this because you hate where you are now, you don't like your body, what if you learn to love yourself now? As imperfect as you are, mm. even with all the extra weight you have on yourself, if you could learn to love yourself now, then I promise you, if if and when, even if you don't get the body, right, you'll still be happy and fulfilled. Yeah. But do the process because you're worth it to fight for your physical health. Why? Because you're a better version of yourself. You're a happier version of yourself when your physical health is taken care of. Not when you're not not necessarily when you have a six pack. Not when you're skinny. But when you take care of your health. And what what does that look like? It means eating real food. Well, I don't care what diet you do. Eat real food, right? right? As as much as you can, right? Instead of the processed, cheap stuff, which I know tastes good, and maybe every once in a while you have a treat, but eat mostly real food. Exercise, do whatever exercise feels good to you. Move your body Move. the way you like yeah. it. Hike, bike, swim, you know, dance, uh, Zumba, Pilates, yoga, weightlifting, CrossFit. I don't care. Find some form of exercise that feels good to you. Manage your stress. So meditating, journaling, being out in nature, um, whatever it takes for you to 
lower your stress levels mm-hmm. is is huge a, a big uh, piece of the puzzle that people miss when it comes to physical transformation and then the last one is sleep sleep like you're getting paid to do it like sleep as if that is your full-time job <laughs> right and you you get paid to do it because i promise you if you focus on sleeping efficiently that right there will make everything else you do in life so much easier boy isn't that true everything yeah yeah and so those are the four pillars of health that i, I have people focus that. on and that's what i'm talking about you are worthy to fight for that physical health because you're going to show up a better version of yourself as a mom, as a dad, as a brother, or sister, as a spouse, as an employee, as a business owner, as whatever it is, if you have your physical health intact. Not, and this is, there's a difference between being skinny and being ripped and having your health. Because you can be super unhealthy, and, but be ripped and shredded. Exactly. Right? So yeah. take that out of the equation for a second. And then you start to realize, okay, now I'm doing this process. Even though it's hard, I'm doing it because it makes me feel good at the end of the day. Yeah. In the long run, it's making me feel better about who I am because I'm sleeping through the night. My stress is a lot lower. I'm eating real food, uh, which helps my digestion, helps my libido, helps my hormones be balanced. I'm getting sleep uh, efficiently throughout the night, and then I'm not sleep-deprived, and I'm not in survival mode all day long. Um, I'm able to handle stressful situations a lot more calmly because right. of all these things that are, are in place now. And then if people start to look at the process that way and start to look at themselves through a lens of self-love, then the process isn't punishment. Gotcha. The process actually is self-love. Wow. You know? And so it takes time to help people learn how to do that. And maybe we can talk about the techniques that I use to get people there. Um, but that's kind of ultimately, because if you take care of that stuff, then the physical stuff like eating healthy and exercising becomes so much easier. Yeah. It's so much easier if you get figure out the emotional stuff first. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think, you know, you nail it on the head is is that, you see a lot of self-hatred mm-hmm. with your clients and they hate who they are, yeah. they hate the way they look. And you could you could kind of relate to that as a younger kid where you you didn't love who you were because you weren't never quite good enough. Yeah. So there, right there, you're already relating. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would love to hear some of these techniques if you're okay sharing some of those with us today. Yeah, 100%. So my opinion on addiction or you know whether it's food addiction, whatever it is, is the key to overcoming any addiction is self-awareness. The more mm-hmm. we become self-aware of who we are and why we do what we do and what triggers these behaviors is the key to figuring out how to overcome that addiction. And so, you know, uh, I learned this from Dr. Uh, Gabor Mate. He said, you know, instead of asking someone why the addiction, ask why the pain. Like what pain are you mm-hmm. covering up? Because right. here's what I've learned from doing fit to fat to fit twice now. is people treat food like a drug where when we deal with emotional pain in life, whether it's a breakup, a divorce, a bankruptcy, financial situations, your kids are driving you crazy, your spouse is driving you crazy, whatever it is, the emotional pain that you feel, Mm -hmm. we as humans look for things to distract ourselves or numb that pain, whether it's food, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, TV shows, movies, uh, social media, you name it. We have everything at our disposal to instead of doing the hard work of you know meditating or going to therapy or journaling, dealing, uh, letting go of that emotional pain, it's so much easier to pop a soda or eat cake and drink some wine or For whatever sure. drug or right. whatever it is. Like, yeah. Because we get that little dopamine hit and mm-hmm. we can have that dopamine hit multiple times a day, you know, all throughout the day. And then we never have to deal with that emotional pain. We just suppress it. And so now we've trained, programmed our brains to look for substances to, because when the emotional pain is too much for us, we want something to distract us or numb right. that pain. So that's what happens with food. And so that's why empathy is so important. 
but we, we can come back to empathy yes, in, in I a little get bit. To, I definitely want to. So get here's the that. list of things to build self-awareness, right? Self-awareness is definitely the key to overcoming that. So how do you build self-awareness? It has to do with becoming, uh, learning or unlearning that we are our thoughts and learning how to become the observer of your thoughts. Mm. So instead of attaching ourselves to our thoughts and reacting to a situation like we normally do, like say our kids are driving us crazy and finances, you know, are stressed out. So we grab a beer, we grab like some chips right. and you know, whatever it is, like <laughs> sure. some kind of junk food. Yeah. Instead of just reacting and then thinking, man, beating yourself up. Why did I do that? Like, I didn't want to do that, but I, yeah. you know, that's what our brain is programmed to do. So, um, some things that I do to help build self-awareness is, and to become the observer of our thoughts are things like meditation, right? Uh, meditating is helping you to be present in the moment. And what you do is you, uh, during meditation is you can, thoughts are going to come and go. Like people think meditation is sitting there in silence and trying not to think <laughs> good luck with that. Like yeah. you hear that's impossible. But what happens is you detach yourself from your thoughts and you see you, those thoughts come and go like clouds in the sky. Yeah. And instead of reacting to them, like, Oh, this thought, Oh, I got to do this or this thought. Oh yeah. I hate that person. Or this thought, oh, I hate myself. You're not attaching yourself. You're learning to just observe, just watch them, yeah. just observe. Love it. And then from there that can transfer over into other areas of our life where maybe we're in traffic and we're, you know, we have road rage coming up and we stop and we breathe and we say, okay, what's happening right now? This trigger is, is happening. I'm triggered because these people are driving me crazy because they're driving slow or whatever it is. And now my emotions of anger and rage are coming out. Now in that moment, you can thoughtfully respond instead of being reactive. And that's the key in those moments to overcome the addiction part where okay. we're just like reacting, reacting, reacting. Right. Now you're able to thoughtfully respond because you're detaching yourself for one second. So meditation is a powerful tool. What else helps? Um, actually have people make their bed every single morning, which is a mental discipline thing. Yeah, It's training the brain to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So meditation is very uncomfortable for people. But if you could train your brain to become comfortable in this uncomfortable situation, then that can carry over into... Uh, you know, maybe being uncomfortable at the gym, like yeah. doing that hard workout, like that's uncomfortable, right. but you can tell your body, Hey, we got this. We, we can do hard things and this is very uncomfortable for me. I'm sweating and I'm breathing heavy, but I can get through this. And then another thing I have them do is take a cold shower every single day, 60 seconds at the end of the warm shower, turn it cold <laughs> and try not to freak out. And that's the thing is if you can slow down your breathing in a cold shower situation where most people are like hyperventilating and your yeah. body tenses up. Yeah. This is why I like Wim Hof, his method of, of, yeah, of breathing. Yes, cold is an emotion, yeah. and emotions can be controlled, and that's how he's so powerful. That's why he can go sit in an ice bath for hours, for hours and fun. they yeah. test him to figure out how he does it. He can you know, control it. It's amazing, and it, it is people amazing. have that power too. Yeah. So <laughs> once again, training your brain to become comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. Um, on top of that, I have uh, my clients do a daily gratitude list, three to five things per day. Love it. Positive affirmations, three to five things, and that helps to change that belief of yourself. Yeah. So saying things that maybe you don't believe about yourself, like I am lovable, I am worthy of love, I'm proud of who I am, right. um, I'm a good man, I'm a good father. Even though you don't believe it, saying it out loud has power at the cellular level. We've seen those right. experiments where they oh, do it with sure. plants. They do it with living things. Um, and then, uh, let's see, what else am I missing? I think that's pretty much it that I have my clients do. And all that stuff has nothing to do with weight loss. It has nothing to do with getting a six pack. It's just training the brain to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations, right. which makes the physical transformation area of their life so much easier. 
Yeah, because when you get uncomfortable not eating the junk food, yeah, you're eating the broccoli and the, mm-hmm. you know, the celery and all that stuff or whatever it might be healthy wise. <laughs> yeah, you can sit in that discomfort because you're more comfortable with it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Exactly, and that's the thing is when anytime we're uncomfortable, we look for something to distract us from that discomfort, <clears throat> right? Because yeah. we don't like to feel comfortable, right. and that's what's so hard though is decades of that. That's why it's so hard for people to break wow. the, that cycle. I love it, man. That so. is powerful. Thanks, Drew, for sharing that with us. You know, I want to get to this. You know, you're you're a very straightforward and empathetic fitness and health mm-hmm. uh, with your coaching. Um, empathy is a big thing for you. Yeah. And again, obviously, you went through this. You know, fit to fat to fit mm. two times. Yeah. Because you wanted to know what it was like, which obviously I'm sure built up some empathy. But why is empathy so important in what you do? Because no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. And I think that's what Fit to Fit to Fit is all about is you have people in the fitness industry with all kinds of accolades and certifications <clears throat> and all this knowledge. That is awesome. That's great. That definitely can help some people. Right. But no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that's so true in all areas of life. Like you could have all the degrees to you know help people with their mindset and all that stuff. But if you don't know how mm. to connect to someone and relate to them and have them to be able to relate to you, it's going to be hard to get that person to trust you. Right. And so for me, fit to fit fit, it developed that empathy for me. And now it's coming from a place of truly caring for people because I led with empathy first and I didn't have that empathy before I came from a place of judgment. And that's because I, when you, when you hate yourself, everything, everything in this life is a mirror of how we see ourselves. Right. So if you hate who you are, you judge yourself harshly, guess what? You're going to look at other people and with the same lens where you judge them and you hate them for no reason, but it's a mirror of how you see yourself. So that's okay. why I don't take things personally. If someone has an issue with me or is upset at me or hates me because I know it has nothing to do with me, it has everything to do with how that person sees me, but it's probably how they see themselves. Right. And so anyways, it's really, uh, it's really been a really powerful tool for me to one, learn how to develop that empathy you know, and Brené Brown does such a good job of illustrating empathy yeah. versus sympathy. Yeah. Totally different. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Empathy versus sure. sympathy. Totally different. And when you can learn to listen to understand someone instead of listen to respond or listen mm-hmm. to correct or listen to judge or listen to critique, that's the problem with society today is we, on social media especially, you see people listen, but they're reacting in their head. They're responding in their head. They're commenting, you know, all these things, these critiques, these judgments instead of truly listening to understand someone, like where yeah. are you coming from? Why are you the way you are? And I want to get to know you. And yeah. she says, it's really hard to hate someone up close. And that's why it's so powerful to get in front of someone, really learn what their struggles are and yeah. learn why they struggle with that. And then you can better understand how to help them wow. if you listen to understand, which is what empathy is in my yeah. opinion. Wow. Can you imagine if they did that in politics? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. It'd that's be a what we're all hoping different for. Ballgame. I yeah. know. We wish for it, but we never see it. But that... I love that. I think that's very powerful. I think, I don't know. I think we always feel like we got to get our point across instead of yeah. just listening to what you're saying and that yeah. kind of thing. And I love that. Well, I know you're one of the few that actually do that in your, in your line of work. And uh, you've actually, we, we mentioned you're a best-selling author. You've written mm-hmm. two books actually, right? If I, or is it more? Two, two books. So Fit to Fat to Fit, The Unexpected Lessons um, from Gaining and Losing 75 Pounds. And then Complete keto, right? A yeah. guide to transforming your mind and your body for life. Talk about why you're so passionate about keto. Yeah, so keto was something that I stumbled upon maybe 2015, 2016. 
And, you know, for, for me, first and foremost, let me just say this, like, uh, there's no one diet that's best for humans. Like there's right. no one size fits all. But the thing that I loved about keto when I discovered it was two things. One has nothing to do with weight loss or fat loss, but everything to do with my mental clarity, the way my mm. brain functions on ketones versus when I'm eating tons of carbs, my brain is so much sharper. I feel like, you know, there's this movie called limitless with Bradley Cooper. Oh, yeah. He takes this pill and then like he, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how I feel. My brain is my brain just feels on fire. <laughs> And two, um, I'm not a slave to food where I used to eat six small meals a day, every three hours, set your alarm, bring your Tupperware container and like, okay, it's time to eat. Cause I don't want to slow down my metabolism. That's what we all thought back then. Yeah. Going from that six, seven meals a day to once or twice a day, my digestion's better. Cause I'm not eating all day long. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't have these hanger, um, you know, episodes <laughs> <laughs> where you're hungry right. and angry. <laughs> Because when you're running sure. off ketones, you don't feel as hungry as often. You can mm. go long hours in between meals and be totally fine because you're using a different fuel source for your body. Gotcha. Your brain, muscles, organs are using a completely different fuel source called ketones versus glucose, which is what you know carbohydrates get turned into in the body. It gets turned into glucose, which is a, a very good fuel. Like I'm not saying it's bad. Sure, right. For me personally, I like being able to eat once or twice a day. You know, not having to meal prep all day long. And uh, like I said, better digestion, better mental clarity. That's what I love about it. Because for me, it definitely works for me in that in that in that way. And as far as like weight loss and body composition, any diet will work. But the the best diet is the one that you can sustain, the one that feels best for you. Okay. I don't do keto 100 percent of the time, but I do keto probably 80 to 90 percent of the time because okay. I, I just feel good, just low feel good inflammation. And men- yeah. the mental clarity is what I love. And not so you got me on the day. you hit me with the mental clarity. Yeah, like. I I've noticed that because I I I you ask my whole family my friends I love hamburgers and fries <laughs> yeah. that is like my if there's a weakness that's it man yeah. I, I could eat those all day long <laughs> but I do notice when I eat a heavy carbed meal that I I am definitely not as sharp yeah I'm lethargic my mm-hmm. energy's low but again I don't think as clear yeah so you hit me really when you said that yeah it's it's worth a try if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective it's how our our species evolved we if we didn't have ketosis as this backup system because what happens is when we run out of food your body doesn't die the next day or two (laughs) days later you can live a long period of time without food right your body uses the stored body fat we all have stored body fat um and your body can turn that into fuel so you can go weeks months the guinness book of world record is 382 days is it really by a 460 pound man so we had a lot of like fat stores right but what i'm trying to say is you know, our ancestors didn't have grocery stores or restaurants or Uber eats. Like they didn't have that. (laughs) So they, if they ran out of food, they would have to go hunt and find food. And maybe they didn't, they went a week or two without food. Yeah. And this is our body's amazing ability to tap in to a different fuel source. And so that's, what's so amazing about it. Now you don't have to starve yourself. You can eat a keto diet, which is high fat, moderate protein, low carb, which mimics fasting, right? Your body's mm-hmm. forced to produce ketones now. Okay. So for me, that's what I love about it. But, you know, I do enjoy my carbohydrates. You know, I love pancakes. I <laughs> You're love human. pizza. Yeah, I'm human. <laughs> and that's the thing is, we, you know, sure. our, our ancestors didn't purposely throw away berries or fruit because they're trying to stay in ketosis. Yeah. They ate what was available to them. So there's periods of feast and famine and <laughs> maybe ketosis for a while and fast for a while. And then, boom, they found fruits and all kinds of stuff. So yeah. Wow. Anyways, 
No, that's good to know. And I want to talk more about, we'll, we'll get here in just a minute on how our listeners can find out more about that program that you do. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, in one of the interviews that I was uh, watching you on, and it really hit me hard because it's I've got a little story behind it too, but you talked about how important it is to own your story. Yes. Hmm. Again, that's kind of what you did on that episode mm-hmm. 100 where you you were just owning it all. Yeah. Right? What? Just for our listeners who r- might, right now might not understand why that's important, why would that be important for us to own our story? It has to do with wearing a mask. And what I mean by wearing masks is pretending to be someone you're not and living an inauthentic life. And what happens is when we don't own our story, mm-hmm. our story owns us. Ooh. You know, and, and Brene Brown talks about that. You know, if you don't own your story at some point, your story is going to end up owning you. And so for me, to give an example, with my podcast episode 100, I could have kept that a secret and tried to keep sure. it a secret from the world. And yeah, I'm sure I would have been fine. But eventually, someone would have found out about it or someone would have told someone and like rumors spread. And then if it gets out there and someone's like, hey, I heard this about you, that's where the story owns you. Mm. And then you're like, no, no, that didn't happen. Or you try and live the secret life. Try to pretend. Or, yeah. Yeah. Avoid it. Yeah. Versus for me, I was like, okay, I am going to come out with my, I'm going to come out with the, exactly what happened. All the details. I'm going to lay it out there. It's like standing in front of an audience being naked. But there's power in owning your story because now mm-hmm. someone could be like, oh, yeah, I heard I heard that about you. I'm like, yeah, I did a podcast about that. You can go listen to it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like there's no power over me Yeah, because I have owned it it's already. Out there. Does that yeah. make sense? And so it does, yeah. owning your story has power. And that's what you take the mask off and you say, this is me. This is who I am. I love who I am. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of who I've become. And if you don't like me because of what I did or you hate me, that's okay. I'll I'll be okay without yeah. you liking me. Because yeah. I've learned to love myself despite my past. And I've learned not to define myself by my past. Man. So Powerful words. Yeah. If you don't own your story, it owns you. Yeah. So, so I, the reason why I love that too is I was at a speaking at a prison, at the Utah State Prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the inmates uh, got to share five minutes of his story before I got up to speak. Yeah. And he said those very words. He goes, if you don't own your story, he's telling this to 120 really? prisoners. Wow. If you don't own your story, it owns you. And I told him after, I, I said, I'm going to steal that. And he probably got it from Brene Brown. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, she seems to be the one that we quote the most. Yeah. But anyway, I thought, wow, that is so true though. Uh-huh. You know? And I've been a really open book with my story and that. And so I totally understand how powerful yeah. that is you know, and overcoming addictions and things like that. But I'm so grateful that that you're here owning your story. I, I yeah. love it. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. So if someone wants to reach out to you mm-hmm. and learn more about your program, learn more about you, mm-hmm. where they can buy your books yeah, and all of that, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, it's super simple. Just type in FIT, F-I-T, number two, FAT, number two, FIT. Um, okay. dot com. Dot com yep. uh, that's it's a beautiful my, site, by the way. Yeah, fit to fat to fit dot com. It's all my social media handles as well. Fit to fat to fit. My first book, my podcast. Just type that in, you'll find everything. Everything's so, on there. Yep. Okay. Beautiful. So I'm going to ask you one more question. Okay. If there's someone listening right now who's in a very dark place, yeah. you've already given us some great advice. What's one thing you could tell this one person right now who is really in a bad place right now? What's one thing you could yeah. tell them right now? Um, the thing that I would tell them is that you, despite everything that's happened in the past, despite what you've done, you are worth it to fight. Mm. You're worth it to fight to stay alive. You're worth it to fight for your happiness. 
everyone in this life, I don't care what you've done, deserves to be happy at some point. Yeah. And um, I just want that person to know that they're worth it, that they're worthy of that. And maybe no one's ever told them that before. Maybe their parents didn't say that to them or they never heard that. I know that's like not, never to hear that, that you're worthy, that you're lovable, but you are. It's and beautiful. it's up to you, though, to believe that. I mm. could tell you, you could tell them all day yeah. long. You got to discover that for yourself. And once you believe that, that's where everything changes. Yeah, I love it. I think you even mentioned when we start doing those hard things, we're telling ourselves that we love ourselves. Yes. So yeah. maybe that's what you do is maybe you, you talk to a friend. If you're listening to this right now mm. and you're in a dark spot, call your best friend right now or a, a parent or a brother or sister and say, I'm struggling. Yeah. That right there is a hard thing to do. But right there, you're starting to show you you actually care about yourself. Yeah. I think it's like that John Mayer song, Say What You Need to Say. Yeah. It's a powerful song. It's a very powerful song. Yeah. Well, you're a very powerful person, Drew. Thanks, Todd. Thank Appreciate you so it, much for taking some time out of your schedule to sit here with me. Seriously, I feel, I'm so, I'm like mm. pinching myself. <laughs> this is amazing. I get to sit with you. So yeah. thank you for, for everything. I thank mean, you. for being vulnerable, for sharing parts of your story. I know there's so much more we could talk about, but I love what you're doing. Um, I love your program, but more importantly, I love that you're just trying to help people be better people who experience happiness and joy in their life, despite what they look like. Yeah. Right. Amen. So good job. Thanks, Todd. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. I told you another amazing guest today, Drew Manning. Please reach out to him. Fit to fat to fit dot com. Check out. It's a beautiful website. He's got everything on there. His podcasts, his books, his blog, um, everything's on there. His program. Please reach out to him and please uh, share this with anyone you know who's struggling. It doesn't have to be with just body image or food. It could be any addiction whatsoever or just someone who needs to pick me up. Please share this with them. I love you guys. Again, thanks to my sponsors. I love you for believing in me. And until next time, thanks, Drew. See ya.